Well, that's a way to start a service right there. <laughs> In our reading together over the last few months, we've gotten into the book of Acts, which I've found incredibly rewarding for me personally. I love the book of Acts. And when we get to this section in our reading, in the book of Acts, we're in about chapters 13 this past week, chapter 14 this upcoming week. It kind of reminds me of, of something I was thinking about this morning after the rain. Did anyone look around their house this morning after the big rain last night and check to see if there was any leaks? Did anybody have any leaks? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to shame anybody into you know, saying they have a leaky house, but... You know, we actually have a, a little pool of water coming through our doggy door into our bedroom. And I'm noticing this, and I'm like, well, that's not going to get any better. Unless I fix it, unless I approach it and, and, like, get down and try to, you know, seal it or whatever I need to do, a leaky roof, a leaky doggy door is not going to fix itself. You know, whenever you see, like, a little termite tube coming out of the ceiling in your house, you know that that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? You know there's something seriously wrong, and if you don't address it, those termites aren't just going to decide one day, you know, let's just go to someone else's house. Bad things tend to get worse. And I know right now, and, and especially right now, I think, you know, this is a, a very positive day. We've seen some very uh, encouraging things in our dear sister coming to the Lord this morning. But I want us to, to look at this occasion in Acts chapter 14, chapter 13 and 14, because I think we start to see something that is a little bit concerning with the spread of the gospel. As the gospel begins to spread, I think we start to see that there are some problems showing up in the Lord's church, and as the church is beginning to spread. We see here in chapter 13 of Acts, verse 46, we see that Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And that quote, obviously, is from Isaiah chapter 49 in the Great Servant Song, as God is basically speaking to the Messiah, that it was a small thing for Jesus to come to the Jews, but a much bigger, more important and substantial thing for Jesus to go to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but in this last week's reading, reading through Acts chapter 13, it's pretty exciting what we see here. It's pretty exciting that Paul and Barnabas are going out there on this first missionary journey. They're going out to preach the gospel. And they're getting out there, they're going into churches, they're, doing some, they're going to synagogues, and they're preaching to people who don't yet know about Jesus. And they're all supported in doing this by the church there in Antioch who sent them out. And here we see, though, that after a lot of rejection by the Jews, finally they turn and they say, fine. At, later on in this chapter, they would shake off their, their sandals the dust off their sandals as a pronouncement against them, and they would move on. It sounds a lot like what we saw in the limited commission back in Jesus' day with his disciples. But here we see the apostle Paul and Barnabas going out to the Gentiles. This is a big deal. This is important. But what we see 
very quickly is some problems showing up. When the gospel goes out, when the gospel starts to spread, the gospel is faced with opposition. And we see that even today. I mean, we can't go and and preach to too many people without starting to see some problems in our way. It happens. And here, just right off the bat, right as the gospel is beginning to spread to the Gentiles for almost the very first time after Cornelius and his family were, were, were saved, we start to see this, this broader outreach in chapter 14, as we're going to read this upcoming week. As they're now in the area which is in the, the area of Galatia. So they're in these places in Galatia, they're in Iconium, they're in Lystra, they're in Derby, they're in these places that are, that are effectively southern Galatia. And if you look on your map, if you have a, a map in the back of your Bible, I'd encourage you to look at, at, at where they travel. Because they're traveling in Galatia, in, in southern Galatia. And there's, there's a reason why I'm saying this. Because Acts chapter 14 and the reception of God's word in Acts chapter 14 is directly paralleled, or, or really it's the same people that's talked about in Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. And so as you're reading Acts chapter 14 this week, I would just encourage you maybe to spend a few minutes and flip over to Galatians and read that letter because they're so closely connected. And I want to talk about that connection a little bit this morning because what we're going to see is that in Acts chapter 14, as Paul and Barnabas are at Lystra and they're in all these places, but particularly when they're in Lystra, in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, when they're here in this Galatian area, they're going to find some problems that they encounter. And those problems are going to get worse. Those problems are going to get worse, and we see that they get worse in the book of Galatians. Galatians is not a very positive letter. I mean, as you'll read, hopefully if you do read, or if you remember back to your study of the book of Galatians, you'll remember that Galatians is not a very positive letter. Maybe not as negative as 1 Corinthians, but it's definitely not a glowing endorsement of the church's faithfulness at that time. And so what we see here, though, is that the church faces problems. And when those problems start out small, oftentimes they're going to get bigger if they're not addressed and dealt with. And that's what I want us to see. When you see a problem that starts off small, you need to address it early on. Because at some point, if it just goes too long unaddressed and and untaken care of, it's going to become bigger than you're able to deal with. And so let's talk about that for just a little bit this morning. In Acts chapter 14, we see here that the big idea in this lesson is that sometimes these problems grow into much larger ones if left unchecked. That's the whole idea here. In Acts chapter 14, these problems, these little problems, if you just saw them in isolation, you'd say, oh, well, that's an interesting thing that happened there in Lystra. Or that's an interesting thing that happened on Paul's first missionary journey. But it, it, it's more than that. It's a deeper problem. And it needs to be sort of viewed as like a larger thing for us to see that, that little problems grow into big ones. And the first problem I want to I talk about is their confusion. And you'll know right off the bat what I'm talking about here in Acts chapter 14. Their confusion in verse 11, as Paul and Barnabas go, they heal a man. They heal a man. They, they do effectively what's like Peter did in Acts chapter 3, if you'll remember how he healed a lame man who couldn't walk. Paul goes into this city in Lystra. He sees a crippled man 
who was, who was lame from birth, who had never walked, and he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, and said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw this, you know what happened. The crowd saw this, and they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And so these priests of Zeus, they come out and they try to start offering sacrifices to them. And if you're, if you're Paul and Barnabas right now, you're, you're like, this is the exact opposite of what we want you guys to be doing, right? We see that the, that the people in Galatia, the people in here, Lystra, they're confused. They're confused about what is really going on. And this is, by the way, not the first time we see people who are confused at the good signs and miracles that God enables people to do. You remember back to Jesus' day. You remember back when he fed the 5,000. He fed so many people. Well, you remember in John chapter 6, effectively, how those people are following him around, looking for food, and they want, they want him to feed them still. And Jesus kind of gets after them. Well, he really gets after them. Because you don't understand. It's not about the food. It's not about the food. I'm not here to feed you. I'm not here to take care of your physical needs. I need you to see the deeper spiritual meaning here. And here, when confronted with this great confusion over what they had done by healing this man, they thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods. Of course they weren't. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they tear their clothes. And they rush out into the crowds and they try to get them to understand, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> you don't have it right. We're not important. This isn't about us. And they point them to God. That's what miracles, that's what signs have always been about. And I know that sometimes for us, the world is going to look at what we do as the church today, what we do as individual members of that church. The world is going to look at us and they're going to be confused about what, we, what our mission is and what we're all about. The world, I know, oftentimes looks at the church as, as like a, a handout organization or, a, or an organization that's supposed to go out and, and fix all the world's problems. But, but that's, not, that's not what we see here. That's not what we see in the Bible. We are that, we are that loving, compassionate people. I mean, that, that kind of compassion is what led this man to be healed. Paul looks at him and has compassion on him, I know, and heals him of his of his lameness. While we have compassion in this world, the world may get confused and think that that's all we're about. Or they may, they may mistake our mission for something else. And by the way, this little seed of confusion that the Galatians have grows into something much bigger. Because when we get into the book of Galatians, which is, by a lot of scholarly accounts, is probably one of Paul's first letters. Probably one of Paul's first letters that he writes, Galatians appears like right off the bat, and we'll, we'll talk about why that is in maybe just a second, but Paul right off the bat has to deal with the Galatians' confusion because in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He's pointing out their idolatry. And you can imagine the connection here between what we've just read and their, their thinking that Paul and Barnabas are gods. He's saying, you used to be enslaved by these things that weren't really gods. But now that you have come to know God, 
or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You can see or you can hear Paul's anguish over them. You can hear how much he wants them to, to just come to their senses and turn around and see things clearly. Because what they're starting to do in the book of Galatians, this is they're, they're starting to put the Jewish system of faith into their own system of faith. They're, they're starting to adopt seasons and days and years and all these observances. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the, the more detailed things that they're trying to do there in Galatians. But we see here that, that they are they're going back to a system of confusion. And that's a problem. When confusion starts small, if left unaddressed, confusion is just going to get bigger and bigger. And unfortunately, I don't think Paul has enough opportunity here with this church in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas, they don't get to spend very much time here. You know, there are some churches where Paul and Barnabas, they spend like a long time. Uh, Lystra is not one of those places because right after this, they get booted out of the city effectively. And they do make their way back, but you can imagine not having addressed this real deep-seated confusion that they have, eventually it just gets bigger and bigger to the point where in Galatians he has to write them and say, you are very, very confused about what faith is all about. And so I want us to see here that if we ourselves ever find that we're confused about something, if we ever find that we have, that we have just a misunderstanding about something, catch it early. Or if you see in one of your brothers or sisters in the church, you see that there's a spark or a hint of confusion about something, catch it early. Otherwise, it could grow into something that just becomes a bigger and bigger problem, like that little drop of water coming out of my doggy door at home right now. I'm, I'm assuming it's still there. Um, the second problem, though, that we see here in Acts chapter 14 is their rejection. We see how the people rejected Paul and Barnabas' message. Right off the bat, Acts chapter 14, verse 19, the Jews who had come down from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, you think here how, how much they came into this place in Lystra how approachable and relatable they were to the people. By the way, in this, in this first missionary journey in chapters 13 and here in chapter 14, where does Paul and Barnabas go every time they go into a city? When you were reading in Acts chapter 13, where every time they went into a city, where did they go? They went into the synagogue, right? They went into the, the house of religious people, right? The Jewish people, where the Jewish people were, that's where they went. Here in Lystra is the very first time they come into a city and they don't go to the synagogue. They just go right out in the open. They start teaching right out in the open. No more going into the place where all the religious people are. Now they're going to the place where the people are. And you can see that having read in there, there in chapter 13 how they, they brushed the dust off their feet, how they said now we're going to the Gentiles and the Gentiles all rejoice. Now they're proving it. You know, we're not going to where the Jews are. We're going to go to where the Gentiles are. We're going to where everyone is. And Paul and Barnabas go, and they, and they make themselves 
available to the people. They're relatable, they're connectable. They're out there trying to touch the people who really need to hear the truth. But eventually they're rejected. Despite how relatable, despite how connected they were, they were rejected. And it was all really because these Jews who came from Antioch and Iconium, they, they, they're causing trouble, right? They came in behind the scenes, they stirred up the crowds, and the crowds rejected Paul and Barnabas. And I almost wonder if there weren't people in the church at Lystra, one of these Galatian churches, I almost wonder, I can't prove this, I can't tell you this for sure, but I almost wonder if there aren't members of the Lord's church who came to the faith, who actually did give themselves to the Lord, I almost wonder if there aren't some of those members of the church in Lystra who weren't among the people who tried to stone Paul and Barnabas. I almost wonder if that maybe one of those people in the crowd, kind of like Saul, who was there participating in the death of Stephen, I almost wonder if there weren't some people who were, who were booting Paul and Barnabas out of the city who would later on turn to the faith and give their lives to the Lord. When you reject the word, when you reject the truth, it's hard to receive it back again. And that little rejection, I mean, it's a pretty big rejection, but that rejection here in Acts chapter 14 continues on, of course, into Galatians. We see later on, as Paul would write to these churches in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And again, I think you see the connection to Acts chapter 14 and this verse in Galatians, don't you? Don't you see how the Jews came in and they were stirring them up and they, they eventually got them to reject Paul and Barnabas, to stone Paul and boot him out of the city, leave him outside the gates for dead? And now in a similar way, Paul is just shocked that this is still a problem. It's still a problem. You have not gotten over this yet. You have deserted Christ. You have deserted your faith. And they've turned to a different gospel. And not that there is a different gospel, of course, he says here. But he says, this is something that you have done. You have rejected my teaching. You have rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. They... They were trying to put all kinds of systems of religion into their own and mix it all together like some kind of mishmash, and it wasn't going to work. And Paul really needs them to see that they've rejected the true message. Again, rejection, it started small, but it ballooned into something that was much larger. Some of these people who rejected Paul's message would continue to do that in the book of Galatians. What... What lesson can we learn from this? What can we do to be more receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What can we do? What can you do to be more receptive? And, and I think it's important for us to just not let other people stir us up. You know, when you read God's word, when you study God's word and you see the truth that's, that's contained within you get into a really dangerous position when you start listening to other people's opinions and other people's beliefs and other people's direction. And that's what happened with the Jews here. The Jews were stirring them up, and, and they would continue to do that. The Judaizing teachers, probably the same ones in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, who were there at the council trying to figure out, you know, should we circumcise these, 
these Gentile Christians now. I mean, these people who were stirring them up, they were causing trouble. Don't let people cause you trouble in your faith. Don't let people inject ideas into, into what the simple truth of God's word is. And that can be a hard thing sometimes. But their rejection started small and got big. And then finally, the last point here that I want us to see is the persecution that happened. Acts chapter 14, we really do see this kind of persecution going on here. They were, they were not in a good place. When the people all rose up and they stoned them, kicked them out of the city, and left them for dead. This persecution, it was rejection, but it was also a physical attack. It was a physical attack going on by these Jews, and the Jews were trying to poison their minds and get them to see that Paul and Barnabas and the truth was not something that they needed to follow. But I love Paul's example here of persistence. Don't you? Don't you love how Paul is just persistent to the point where he's stoned, he's left out of the city for dead, and then he gets up. But when the disciples in verse 20 had gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. <laughs> it was like, you know, get, get right back on the horse, Paul. I mean, they can't keep me down. I don't know if they were still in the city or not, but he gets up somehow and, and makes his way back into the city. The next day he goes and he goes and continues on his message into Derby. Apparently there were no issues there in Derby that he needed to deal with. So he comes back around on the, on the return trip home and he visits Lystra again on his way back and preaches and teaches. And what does he do? He appoints elders in every place. We talked about that a couple lessons ago. But I appreciate so much his persistence to just keep going, even though he was beaten down and persecuted. But the church there, when they experienced persecution, they didn't, they didn't exhibit such perseverance. They had a hard time keeping on in their faith. And we see that later on in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we see how in verse 1 through 3, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Why were they trying to accept circumcision? It was persecution. It was the Judaizing teachers who had come in there and telling them, you know, your faith in Jesus isn't enough. You need to do more. You need to be more like us. You need to be observing the Sabbath. You need to be circumcised. You need to be eating kosher and doing all the things that we're doing so that you can be more like us rather than everyone being more like Jesus. And they let this persecution, they let this, this constant push from the outside finally wear them down to the point where they thought themselves, well, I guess we should just be like, like them. Do what they say and just go with the flow. Persecution sometimes will start out really small, but it can balloon into something that's much larger. And we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard and, and fortify ourselves when persecution starts to come in little forms, because it's just going to get bigger. And you can see that in our own country. You can see that in, in the world we live in. As the world gets darker and darker and steeps itself deeper and deeper into sin, we are going to stand out and look very much more different than the world. Our lights are going to shine brighter. 
We are going to be a peculiar people, much more than we maybe ever have been. And so let's make sure that as persecution starts small, that we prepare ourselves for when it gets bigger and not allow other people and what they say to dictate who we are and the faith that we have in Jesus. All right, so that's just a simple lesson. I know this is kind of a Debbie Downer lesson after such a positive morning, but, but I want us to steal ourselves. As we read through Acts chapter 14, I want us to prepare ourselves, to steal ourselves for going out into the world and to being the best kind of disciples that we can be. Because we're never going to grow, we're never going to improve if we just brush small problems under the rug. Right? I could look at that termite tube up in the ceiling and I could say, oh, I'm sure it'll get better someday. You know, I'll be saying that till, till the wall falls off on my house, right? We need to address problems early. We need to make sure we're dealing with these things as soon as we possibly can. And don't, don't confuse yourself to, to realize that small problems tend to get bigger unless we address them. Thanks for your attention. If you, well... If you want to follow the example of our, our dear sister this morning, if you want to be baptized today, I mean, why not? We've, the waters are ready. It's nice and warm. We would love to baptize you. We would love to get you started on that journey if you need to do that this morning. If you're subject to the gospel call, please come as we stand and sing.